Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Hello, Well Community. My name is Frances Kim, and I'm so grateful to be with you to share God's Word, but also to share my heart with you today. A bit about me. I'm a second-generation Korean-Canadian, which means my parents immigrated to Canada in the late 1970s from South Korea. In fact, um, I have been born and raised and lived my entire life in Ontario, my formative years in a small town called Belmont, which is not unlike the town of Bimbrook, except surrounded by way more farms. Currently, I serve as the director of Envision, which is a leader development initiative that's connected to the Alliance in Canada, of which the well is one of hundreds of church expressions across this country. Pre-COVID, my team's work was largely based on creating missional discipleship experiences for young emerging leaders ages 18 to 35. We would facilitate short-term trips, internships, semester programs, and host annual conferences in places all around North America and connected to International Alliance workers all over the world. Workers like the Howell family in Senegal, whom you recently partnered with. Since COVID, our team has had to shift like so many and we developed an online mentoring initiative called Greenhouse that's set to launch this fall. And so for more information on any of this, you can check us out at envisioncanada.org. Now a little bit about my family. I am wife to Randy. Together we are Frandy and we're going on 12 years of marriage this Halloween. Something about my husband that you, the well, will find particularly interesting is that Bimbrook is a town we frequent on a regular basis because my in-laws, Randy's parents, brother and sister-in-law, have been operating a business in Bimbrook for the past five years. I don't even think Pastor Kevin knows this yet. So I hope while this message is pre-recorded and not in person, that one day soon I will be able to greet you and meet you in your own hometown. Randy and I have two children. Timothy is eight in grade three, and Amelia is five in senior kindergarten. Our kids are at a fascinating age. And like all parents, we've been spending a lot of time with them these days. Not only are they growing before our eyes, but our, their personalities are emerging ever stronger. Timothy was born on October 10. That's 10-10, and it wasn't long before we were half-jokingly telling people that he was our 10 out of 10 child. The kid just makes us parents look real good. He's sweet and tender, adaptable and resilient, curious and sensitive. Amelia was born August 3rd. That's 8-3. And there's no mathematical equation that quite explains her distinct personality. We are always on our toes. There's never a dull moment with her around. As parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, Teachers and neighbors, have you ever found yourself stumped by questions thrown at you by the kids in your life? Has it ever felt as though these little people hold up mirrors that prompt your own internal self-reflection and reveal the state of your heart? This has certainly been the case for me this pandemic season, as God has spoken his truths and offered reminders through them of where my heart has grown cold or drifted away from his call and his purpose. How is your heart these days? Who's in your life that has access to speak to your heart and reveal what's inside? In a time and year where everything we knew to be true or held onto as reassurances of normal has completely changed. The routine and predictable rhythms of living out our daily lives, our health, our work, schooling for the kids, even the racial reckoning among our black, Asian and indigenous communities, all of it, has had huge impact on our bodies, 
minds, our sense of self, and our hearts. We've moved from being people used to the familiar to now living in a perpetual state of disorientation and reorientation. And it's easy to get lost as we find ourselves sometimes asking of God, why and what do we do? And even more important, who are we to be in all of this? I believe questions on being are best addressed through examining our hearts as ones who are seen and loved by God unconditionally. I love passages in the Bible that address the human heart. Our anchor verses for today's message are found in Hebrews 12. But before we go there, let's look at a couple of others that speak to this. Proverbs 4, 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything we do, what we think, what we speak, what we choose to put our time and attention to each day, flows from our heart. And the wisdom of Proverbs tells us to guard it above all else. Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of soft flesh. This verse describes a holy exchange of God promising to move his people, cleansing them from their sins and moving them to follow him, drawing a disobedient people back to himself for a season of prosperity and devotion. What the Israelites weren't able to do in the Old Testament was accomplished in the life and death of Jesus. This verse speaks about turning to God in Christ, receiving forgiveness for sins, and being with the Holy Spirit now, with the law of love written on our hearts, with a newfound ability to follow him for eternity. There are hundreds of verses that discuss the human heart. Did you know that in one Bible translation, the heart is cited 826 times? It's that important to pay attention to. Every day, God's people are called to devote to him their whole body, their mind, our future, and even our failures. This is what it means to love God with all of our hearts. Have you ever wondered, like me, if over the course of our lives, the reverse can take effect? That our hearts of soft flesh, miraculously changed by Jesus, can become hardened to be like stone again? Have you experienced hardness of heart for yourself in recent days and months in light of all that we're facing in our inner and outer worlds? What is hardness of heart? In medical terms, physically, one might immediately think about calcification of the heart, a buildup of calcium that narrows the opening of the aortic valve, reducing blood flow and the heart functioning. Another definition reveals this. It's to stop having kind or friendly feelings for someone or caring about something. How do you stop having kind or friendly feelings for someone or stop caring about anything? And what can we as a children of God, as a community of believers, do about it? Let's take a look at our main passage for today, found in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. I first heard this teaching from an online marriage conference this past year, led by Paul David Tripp. And these truths came at a time where my own heart was hardened by cumulative effects of grief and burnout and a family crisis. But after hearing these words, a shift began internally. And I have found comfort and truth through this passage, returning to it again and again. So let's take a look now 
Hebrews 3, verses 12 to 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This passage has two parts, a warning and a call. First, the warning. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Sinful, unbelieving, turning away. This reveals a progression and a pattern of sin. When we sin as believers, our conscience bothers us because the heart of stone has been taken out of us and the heart of flesh has been put in its place. This is true even of those who were young and not even aware of their sin. I remember a year and a half ago when my daughter Amelia was four years old, she went through a phase that her brother never did. And that was testing the bounds of our love by telling lies straight up. It was like she was playing her own game of two lies and no truth. From telling her grandpa that she pooed in her pants at daycare to slipping a gumball in her mouth first thing in the morning and adamantly denying it while we can clearly see it protruding in her cheek. Each time we would gently confront her of her sin. She would break down and cry, feeling the weight of her conscience heavy on her soul and promising to never, ever, ever tell an another lie ever again. Even at a young age, we know that there are choices when we've done wrong. The first choice is to name what's wrong, to confess it to God and to the person that you've wronged. Or in unbelief, we erect self-atoning arguments and convince ourselves that our actions are less than sin, nullifying our conscience, making ourselves feel better about what we shouldn't actually feel good about. This leads to further turning away until finally over time, our hearts become hardened. We stop having kind or friendly feelings for someone or caring about something and neglect to follow the greatest commandment. Hardened hearts means we are insensitive to and resistant to change that is necessary. The writer of Hebrews warns against the subtle patterns of sin that take ourselves off the hook by self-righteous arguments, which leads further to driving ourselves away. What used to bother our hearts doesn't bother us anymore. What used to grieve our conscience and spirit, it just doesn't anymore, and we become numb. So how do we keep this from happening? How do we fight against the wrong produced in us and through us and prevent our turning away from God and to one another? How do we keep our hearts soft? And that's the call. Hebrews chapter 3, 13 says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As long as sin lives inside of me and inside of you, there will be pockets of spiritual blindness. There are innate inaccuracies of the view we have of ourselves. I don't know me is closer to being truth than you don't know me. And if we're convinced that no one knows us better than we know ourselves, and someone's bringing to us something that we haven't seen, we feel misjudged, misunderstood, and we have no problems rejecting it. When we think that our view of ourselves is totally accurate, we become unapproachable in our relationships. 
Sure, we may be nice and say the right things, we are Canadian after all, but we're not buying in. So we see the opposite is true in this passage. To admit, I have blindness in me. I need help. The thing I need to be rescued from the most in my relationships is me. I need rescue. God has put a rescuer in intimate communion with all of us. The spirit of the living God through Jesus dwells in us. Someone who witnesses to us and sees us the way uh, sees us in a way that's way more objective than we see ourselves. Friends, we are called to be instruments of seeing in the lives of one another, knowing that there will be blindness, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Grace moves towards the person and not away out of judgment or fear. Pastor Kevin said something about this last week in his message. Grace moves toward the person and not away. Living this way requires two supernatural character qualities. These have been on my, my mind and repeat uh, and on my heart and through my actions this past year. And they are this, humble approachability and the courage of loving honesty. First, humble approachability. Say to yourself every day, because of the remaining sin in me, yes, the power of sin is broken, but the presence of sin remains. I am a person in need of desperate help today. Would you say that you are humble and approachable? Would your family, friends, neighbors, and colleagues say the same? When there are tough things to say and tough things to hear, are you approachable? The second is the courage of loving honesty. If we are going to be a tool of grace in the hands of our Redeemer, we have to be truth speakers. The courage of loving honesty. Avoiding confrontation is indicative of actually loving ourselves too much, not wanting to step into the awkward moments and choosing comfort versus clearly helping a person see what they need to see or hearing what we need to hear. It's the courage of loving honesty. Honesty used as a weapon is not redemptive. Truth not spoken in love ceases to be truth because it's bent and twisted by other agendas and emotions. It's having an agenda that's less than what is good for the person. Over this past year, serving at the National Ministry Center of the Alliance in Canada, a few of my colleagues and I have had the opportunity to sit in a Zoom room to converse with the president of our organization, Dave Hearn. We talked about racism, injustice, and the church. These conversations were the first of its kind, and it was through Dave's humble approachability that each of us responded with the courage of loving honesty in addressing these issues as it relates to our office, as well as our broader Alliance family. We recognize that these conversations are messy, and yet they're ultimately redemptive. We've met a number of times over this past year. We formed a diversity task force. We've shared our own stories of experiencing racism growing up as well as while serving as part of this movement. And as believers navigating a world hostile to the gospel and messages of hate, division and trauma ever increasing, what are ways that you and I can respond? Remember, grace moves toward and not away. An examination of our hearts prompts confessing of our sins to God and to one another, to become humble, approachable, and courageous in being honest. Reading this passage again through the message translation, it says this, So watch your step, friends, 
Make sure there's no evil unbelief flying around that will trip you up and throw you off course, diverting you from the living God. For as long as it's still God's today, keep each other on your toes so sin doesn't slow down your reflexes. If we can only keep our grip on the sure thing we started out with, we're in this with Christ for the long haul. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole bodies, their whole minds, our whole hearts, our future, and even our failures. This is what it means to love the Lord our God with all our hearts. God makes his invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to others who are in need of his grace. Instead of condemning us and walking away, God himself moves towards us. Will we be people who do the same? Let's pray with this final verse found in Psalm 139. It says, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. God, we thank you for meeting us where we are and speaking to us through your word this evening. Father, help us to see where our hearts have grown cold, hardened and dry. We pray for a softened heart, for an unselfish love, for a compassionate spirit. We thank you for your holy presence, for the love and gift of Jesus himself. Help us to keep short accounts with you and with one another as long as it's called today, regularly seeing, grieving, confessing, and repenting with you and encouragement with one another so that we may experience you and the fruits of your spirit more deeply and live into the calling and purpose of our lives more fully. Amen. Blessings on you, the well.